Well, uh, as I mentioned, I just got back from a trip to England. I was a little harsh to the British people there this morning. But there is a lot of stuff that I love about England. I love getting to go over there. Obviously, get to see my mom and my family. Uh, love some British food. I know that that sounds strange because British food is kind of universally despised. But a good fish and chips from my hometown is good. Uh, lots of things I love. But one of the things I love most about going back to England is I get to kind of dig around in all the memories. Because it's been so long since I've lived there now full time. It's uh, been almost 20 years that I forget about this whole life that I lived over there. So my mom and I were kind of digging around in some different things, looking through photo albums. And I found a whole bunch of stuff from back when I was in high school or kind of middle school, you guys would say, I guess. And uh, I forgot how much of an idiot I was in those years of my life. Uh, I really, I'm reading these things and I'm kind of seeing pictures and I'm getting flashbacks of the way that I used to live and think, I'm thinking, praise God that I am no longer this person anymore. But one of the things I used to think, I used to think very highly of myself. I used to have spiky hair. I used to style it all up. I always joke with people that God took my hair because I was too vain and he wanted to set me free from that. But uh, I used to think that I was the man with the ladies. I thought I was a charmer. And uh, one thing that I thought I was particularly good at was pickup lines, that I could have the right phrase to get a girl to just think that I was Prince Charming, right? I would have said things like, well, here I am. What are your other two wishes? Is that good? That's pretty good? If I could rearrange the alphabet, I'd put you and I together. Did it hurt when you fell from heaven? This is one that's classically me. Do you like Star Wars? Because you're the only one for me. That was a good one. Here's the truth, is I did not know how to talk to gals at all. I'm quite honestly, I'm glad that I have managed to get married to a beautiful woman because it was not looking good for me the way that I thought being charming was. So it's all worked out, right? But I had no idea how to talk to girls at all. No ideas how to just be normal, have a normal conversation. And I think when we think about prayer, which we're going to talk about today, the truth is sometimes we don't know how to talk to God either. That we have very silly things that we say and we do that we think are prayerful. We think that they're holy. We think that they're religious. We think that they're spiritual. But the truth is we miss the heart of what prayer is really all about. And we miss the chance to have a normal conversation with God. Our fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ finds its principal expression in prayer. It is in our praying, praying that we indicate the fact that we actually have a relationship with God. And so it's really good for us, I think, regular intervals in our life to come back to what the Bible says about prayer and remind ourselves about what a conversation with God should and can look like. We don't want to get lost in, in these strange routes that we travel down. We want to come back to what does Jesus tell us about conversation with God? What does the Bible teach us about what that can look like? The first thing we need to realize is we can't have a relationship with God if we don't talk to him. We can't have a relationship with someone if we're just going to be silent. And so we got to ask ourselves, so then how do we pray? And that's exactly what some of Jesus' disciples said to him when they were walking with him. We're looking at Luke chapter 11 in a particular instance in which the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We want to know how to pray. And Jesus was delighted to teach his followers the way of prayer. And it became something that defined them as a group of people. If you read in Acts 2, the early church, this group of people that were known as people of the way, one of the things that they were devoted to was prayer. They were known for how they prayed. They were known for how much they loved to pray. 
So as we consider the way of Jesus, we kind of have to make this stop as we've talked about generosity, we've talked about abiding, we've talked about so many different things, but we need to take a stop and say, well, what do we need to know about prayer? What is the way of prayer? Because prayer is a gift to us. I mentioned a moment ago, the early church loved to pray. It wasn't something that they felt obligated to do. It wasn't something that they did because they wanted to be a good religious group of people. This was a group of people that Acts 2 tells us were devoted to prayer. They loved to talk to God. How different is that to the way a lot of us normally view prayer today? Do we view prayer as something that we love to do? Something that we're excited about getting involved in? So today, I want to read through this passage, and I want to do something that really we should do every week. I want to stop, and I want to pray. I want to pray that as we open God's word today, that the Spirit of God would be with us. And this thing that we're going to talk about, this thing that we all aspire to be better at, that God would put the heart of what prayer really is into us. And that we as a people would know that we should love to come to the Lord in conversation. We should love to listen. We should love to speak. We should love to pray in every way that we can. So let me read this, Luke 11, verses one through four. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who is kind enough to teach us how to pray, to teach us how to have good, healthy conversation with you. God, as we look at your word this morning, help us. Help us to grasp what this really is. Lord, I pray for myself, Lord, that all of my things would be moved out of the way, Lord, and I would represent your word well this morning. That we would speak to what you are really saying. That you would move out of the way our faulty ideas, our broken ideas, and remind us of the gift and the joy of prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk about three movements in, in Luke 11 that will help us understand what the heart of prayer is really all about. And the first is the rhythm of prayer. The next will be a reason for prayer. And lastly, the reward of prayer. Let's talk about the rhythm of prayer. See, the disciples see Jesus has a rhythm in his life and they want a part of it. They want to experience what he does. They want to pray like him. I was thinking about this. It reminded me of a conversation I had with Jeff about a year ago, Pastor Jeff. Pastor Jeff, if you don't know, is the lead pastor here, uh, really buff guy. But uh, I went to Pastor Jeff and I asked him about how I could lose some weight because he was really good at that. He's, he's really good at working out. In fact, if, if you ever want to work out, probably don't go with Pastor Jeff because he's too good. He does things that no human being should be able to do. Uh, but I went to him and I asked him this question. I said, hey, teach me. I want to know what's a good, good way to lose some weight in my life. And so he says, well, here's what you got to do. you got to uh, don't eat uh, breakfast, don't eat before 11, and don't eat after 7 p.m. Don't go get fast food for anything. Don't be doing that. Cut sodas out of your life. You don't want you to be doing that. And he basically unpacked this rhythm of ways to live that would help me lose weight. And here's what I said. I said, Jeff, that's not going to work for me. I don't like that rhythm at all. I really like McDonald's. And I'm a big fan of eating breakfast. I love breakfast food. It's my favorite food. So here's the problem is, I had a problem with the rhythm that was necessary for me to experience what I wanted. I had to come to terms that there is a rhythm that was necessary. If I wanted what I said I wanted, I had to realize there was a rhythm that was necessary for that. The disciples are kind of picking up on this in this story. They're realizing that if they want what Jesus has, they're going to have to learn his rhythm. And so they ask him about it. 
Luke 11, 1 says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. So he's in the middle of doing it. This is something that's already happening for him. The disciples see it and they say to him, teach us to pray. And Jesus was regularly going off on his own to pray. This is in some more accounts of that. Luke 5, 15, it says, now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And then in Luke 6, 12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. So Jesus was doing this all the time. He was praying, he would go away on his own to pray. He would pray with his disciples and they saw this and they wanted it. See, Jesus knew that personal conversation, relationship with his father was essential. It was a priority. And if it was a priority for the son of God, how much more is it a priority for you and me to be in regular conversation with God? Jesus would pray at key moments in his life. In Luke 6, when he's praying on his own, that's right before he chooses the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. So as he's coming to key moments, he prays. Right before the cross, again, there's one of the most beautiful accounts of Jesus' prayer life as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is, this is happening all the time. Prayer was as natural to Jesus as breathing. Prayer is not always natural to us, though. It doesn't always fit conveniently into our lives. It isn't always what our heart first longs for. Sometimes we're afraid of it. We think, well, what if we say the wrong thing? What if we are not right with God? What if there's some other problem like that? What if he doesn't answer us? What if he does answer us? We get confused by it. Well, who should we pray to? The Father, to Jesus, to the Spirit? What do we even say? What kind of things should we ask him for? We don't have time for it. We see it as unhelpful or wishful thinking. So when we talk about praying, we think, yeah, but really, maybe I should be doing something instead of praying. We're bored by it. We think, surely there's something more thrilling to do with our time. Maybe there's something more exciting, something more engaging. Friends, if you've ever felt any of these, I want you to know there's grace. We all feel these things. It's happening in our heart all the time. And this is, the, this is why Jesus has this very conversation with his disciples. Because he knows that they have bad ideas about prayer. He knows that they don't understand what good, healthy conversation with his father looks like, and so he wants to help them. He wants to help us. He wants to give us guidance because he knows how important this is. In his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will for you is to pray without ceasing, to be in constant conversation with him. I always think about this, when, when my kids come and they want to talk with me, I love when my kids want to talk with me. I will talk with them about anything they want to talk about. We talk about some weird stuff, right? You've got little kids in our house, they ask me about some strange stuff, but there's never been a conversation with my kids that I've thought afterwards, I really wish that they hadn't come and talked to me. I love to talk to them. And how much more a perfect father in heaven loves to talk to his kids. But how is it possible for us to pray without ceasing? seems really difficult, right? How do we keep it going? We have to have two rhythms in our life. We have to have a rhythm of speaking and a rhythm of listening. We have to have a rhythm of speaking because God wants us to speak. God wants us to share with him the things that are on our hearts, the things that trouble us. He wants us to have regular conversation. Sometimes we think as, as prayer is this really holy thing that can only be done in certain places in certain ways. I remember I used to think as a kid that I had to pray exactly like this as though my hands were like a radio antenna. I genuinely thought of this, that if my hands went together, the signal won't go. 
You know, I, I used to have such strange ideas about prayer, but the, re, the real reality is that God wants prayer to be something that's normal to us. As normal to me speaking to you now as you speaking to a friend. And in fact, there's accounts in Scripture, one in particular I think of with Moses, where Moses would go and pray. And the way it's described is that Moses spoke to God as a man speaks to his friend. That's what prayer should be to us. It should be us having a healthy, normal conversation. And he wants us to talk about absolutely anything that's on our heart. If we read the Psalms, you go to the center of your Bible, these Psalms, prayers of people and saints written through hundreds of years, and they're filled with prayers of anxiety, prayers of fear, prayers of joy, prayers of hope, prayers of anger and confusion, prayers of bitterness and pain. There is every possible human emotion in the Psalms, and people would talk about all of these things to God. And so there is nothing that can cross your heart or your mind that God doesn't want to hear from you. That's the first thing that we need to know is that when we come to speak to God, there is nothing off limits in a conversation with God. Isn't that freeing? Isn't it freeing to know that whatever is going on inside of you, you can bring it to God. You can speak to him about it. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 about a woman who would come and knock on the door. Uh, because she had needs, she, had, uh, she needed bread, and so she would knock on the door of someone who could provide it for her relentlessly. And eventually this person acquiesced and gave her the bread. But what he says is, he says, I want you to pray like that. I want you to pray relentlessly. I want you to come and bring your needs to God. Don't give up. Don't stop. Do it. And again, and again, and again. Because God is willing to listen. Sometimes we only speak to God when things are hard. And so we don't enjoy good friendship with him. Because what kind of friendship is it when we only go to someone when things are really difficult? We kind of treat God like he's the emergency services, 911. We'll call him up when something's gone really bad. But if something's going good and beautiful and it's praiseworthy and it's time to rejoice, we kind of forget about him. But there's more rhythms to prayer. Because prayer is not simply speaking, it's also listening. We need to have a rhythm of listening in our lives. This same kind of account of Jesus unpacking what we call the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father, there's another account of it in the Gospels in Matthew 6. And in Matthew 6, he kind of gives us a little bit more before he goes into it. And one of the things he says is, when you pray, I don't want you to babble like the pagans. I don't want you to think that you having lots of really clever words is what's going to get God to listen to you. But sometimes we come to God and we babble a lot like the pagans. We don't listen enough. We think that prayer is a performance instead of what I think it is, which is an acceptance. Pastor Brian's definition of prayer is that uh, prayer is being loved by God. That when you go to God in prayer, it is you accepting his great love for you, his generosity towards you, his grace for you. Psalm 4, 610, one of the most famous scriptures says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes prayer is simply just that being still in the presence of God listening quietly. Prayer can be a lot like trying to dial your radio into the right radio station. Sometimes you've got to sit there for a while and figure out exactly where it's coming. But if we sit, if we are still, if we meditate on God's word, and if we are patient, we will begin to learn how God speaks to us. We'll learn how to pray without ceasing because it's not just endlessly speaking, it's also listening. Here's the thing, friends, is if, if, if we neglect time with God, if we don't speak with him, if we don't listen to him, 
we're going to miss out on a whole bunch of joy that God has for us. What suffers in us is the life of Christ within us. See, J.D. Greer, pastor that I listen to, he says that, that by faith, Christ has come to dwell in our hearts. That's his mission. Is he wants to come in and fill our lives with all of who he is. And when we don't pray, when we don't have conversations with God, we don't nurture that. We forget about that. We get distracted from that. If we took half the time that we spend on Facebook or watching news reports or a fraction of the time that we text or email or one television show gave that up, how much more conversation could we be having with God? And what does it really say about who we think God is and what conversation with him is like when we are choosing so many other things over spending time in conversation with him? I always get the little thing on my phone, the screen time update. Do any of you guys have that? It tells you how many hours you've been wasting on your phone the previous week. What if we had one of those that showed us how much we've been praying? What if every Sunday morning, right as we come into church, there was a little bing and it said, here's how much time you've spent in conversation with God this week. Now, you might be inclined to think, I don't want to look at that because that's going to make me feel really bad. <laughs> it would make me feel bad. But here's why I'm saying this. I'm not saying this because I want you to feel bad about what you're not doing. I want you to feel excited about what you might be able to do if you would give God more time. What kind of conversations would happen? What kind of hope would God put in your heart if you talked a little more, if you listened a little more? See, this is not Jesus trying to shame his disciples and saying the way that you pray is wrong or bad. He's trying to say there's more. There's more for you to be had. There's a better conversation for you to enjoy. We should have a healthy rhythm of prayer because prayer is something that we need. There's a reason for prayer. What is the reason for prayer? My boys, uh, a few years ago, they had donated to them this electric tractor. Have you seen these things, the kind of giant plastic uh, trucks that have, you've got to charge the battery every now and then and they can go for a, a ride? But what inevitably happens all summer is they will take it out, they love it, they take it out and they run the thing dry within 30 minutes because they're driving it all over the place. And then they come back again and say, Dad, Dad, I need you to recharge the battery on the truck. It's gone dead again. And I almost, I almost get like fatigued at how much they want to use this thing and we end up having to put it on charge every single night. Here's the thing is, the life of Christ in you wants to go a lot of different places. God wants you to use it and the way that you keep it charged, the way that you keep it running is prayer. If you want the life of Christ to expand in your heart, if you want greater knowledge of who he is, if you want to experience his great love for you, that comes through prayer. This is what Jesus says to them when they ask him, how should we pray? He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is a model of prayer that Jesus gives his disciples. We commonly know it as the Lord's Prayer. Probably had part of it, if not all of it before. But what this is not is a prayer that we are simply to repeat. That's a wonderful start. It's great to pray these exact words. It's scriptural. It's from Christ. It captures the heart of our prayers. But it's also meant to be a model that tells us where to go next. It's not a prayer that's just meant for repetition. You know, Martin Luther, the guy that I was mentioning earlier, a great reformer, he said that this prayer is the greatest martyr on earth. And he said it because it was so frequently said without any thought or feeling and without any reverence or faith. We kind of go through it and say these words without really hearing them for ourselves. 
without really seeing what it is that God is giving us in Christ, when Christ gives this prayer, what is it that he's telling us about conversation with God? I think that there are themes and there are ideas in these that can help shape how we think about God and how we think about conversation with him. And we could spend weeks looking at it. We could do a whole series on the Lord's Prayer, but I want to tell you two things this morning. First, I want to point out how this prayer will remind you of your need. It will remind you of your need. In Matthew 6, right before he gives this prayer to his disciples, this is what he says. He says, do not be like the pagans who babble on. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So why do we ask him then? You ever think about that? Why, why would we pray to God if what Jesus is telling us, he already knows what you're going to ask, he already knows what you need, so then why tell him at all? We're praying not to make God aware of something, we're praying to make ourselves aware of something. We're not praying because God doesn't know something, we're praying because we don't know something. We don't know, we don't remember how good he is, how great he is, how powerful he is, how loving he is. And so the Lord's Prayer is Jesus explaining, this is the kind of things that you need to pray in order to remind yourself of your need, of what you truly need. The prayer starts, he says, Our Father, hallowed be your name. You're holy, God. That's what hallowed means. It means you're set apart. You're utterly unique. There's no one like you. Your kingdom come. You're the king. Father, you reign over all creation, the galaxies, the stars, the forests, the fields. All of them belong to you. And then, only then, after we've understood who God is, do we talk about what we need. And what does Jesus tell us to pray for? Our daily bread. We ask that king, that one who reigns over all things, provide for us. Give us the things that we need to live. We ask for forgiveness. It reminds us the need that we need forgiveness. We need grace. It reminds us that we have not lived or loved rightly. All of this is revealing our need because it's revealing who God is and who we are. The Lord's Prayer, it's a concession that you and I, we're not God. We don't have what we need for this life. We're depending on him. God's the creator and we're creation. God is the provider and we are the hungry. Tim Keller says to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. To fail to pray then is not to merely break some religious rule. It's a failure to treat God as God. So sometimes our lack of prayer, our muddled prayer life, reveals that really what we think is really that functionally we're God. We don't need to ask him for anything because we're going to figure it out. We don't need to go to him because we don't need any needs met in him. Not praying is an effort in being forgetful. Being forgetful in who God is, who you are, and your great need for him. I need to know who God really is. I need to experience his grace and his love and his mercy in my life. There's so many things that exhaust me, that wear me down, that empty me out. And when I go to God and I remember my need, remember that he is the king that reigns over all creation, it renews me, it fills me up. Are you praying that you would better know God's love in your life? Are you praying that you would be more aware of your need for his love in your life? 
If God answered all your prayers in one fell swoop, to what degree would his kingdom come and his will be done in your life? Would redemption and reconciliation and restoration show up in the relationships around you? Would hope fill your heart? Are you praying that your co-workers, your kids, your boss would experience that same thing, a need for Jesus, a need for his great grace and his love and his mercy? How many new people would come into the kingdom? How many of his promises would be fulfilled in you? How much of his purposes would be accomplished in your life? Praise God that he has an answer for when I don't pray those things, for when I forget about those things. For when my prayer life is so me-centered and the things that I need, the, the, the things that I need to comfort me and help me feel like I'm still in control of my own life. Because this prayer doesn't just remind us of our need, it reminds us of God's provision. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We don't just pray so that we remember our need. We pray so that we can find the answer to our need. That's what Paul says in Philippians. Pray, because I don't want you to be anxious. I don't want you to feel the burden of your need weighing you down. I want you to go to the one who can provide for you all that you need. When you're fearful because your loved one is sick, God wants you to go to the one who can provide hope. When you're frustrated because you keep making the same mistakes, God wants you to go to the one who can guide you and give you counsel. When our prayers are centered on ourselves, we'll fail to see God as God, and so suddenly all of our needs will overwhelm us because they're still there whether we choose to see them or not. But prayer helps us get free. Prayer helps us come to the one who can liberate us. God knows how exhausted you are, how in need you are. And friends, he's glad to meet your needs. He's not troubled by your requests. He's not irritated by them. He delights when you come to him because he already knows your need and he just needs you to see that he can provide the answer. He already knows. Prayer doesn't just remind me I'm a sinner. It reminds me that God can forgive me. It doesn't just remind me I'm powerless. It reminds me that God is powerful. But even these are not the true gift of what prayer really is. Not the true reward of prayer. You know what the true reward of prayer is? Let me read it to you. Luke eleven two. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father. That's the reward of prayer. The reward of prayer, what made Jesus' prayer so revolutionary, is he tells us that we can pray to our Father. Now, maybe you've prayed that so many times you don't realize how much of a big deal that is. But to Jesus' disciples, to everyone around him, this would have been a very strange way to pray. See, in the day of Jesus, the Jews believed that God was their father in kind of a, a, a kind of corporate giant informal sense. He was the creator of everything, the creator of the heavens and the earth. So he's the father in a sense that he had created all things. But they didn't think of him as an intimate personal father that loved them, that wanted to be in relationship with them individually. But that's how Jesus talked to him. 
And Jesus' disciples saw that. They saw that when Jesus spoke to his father, it wasn't some cold clinical prayers. It was the prayer of a son to a father who knew he could be close to him, who knew he could approach him, who knew he could cast all of his cares on him. And they wanted that. And friends, if you and I were there, wouldn't we want the same thing too? Haven't you ever known someone who you've known as kind of a a prayer warrior? They pray greatly, they pray deeply, and when you're around them and you see the way that they speak to God, you feel the joy and you think, "I, I want that. I want to be able to talk to God openly, honestly, frequently. And the way to do that is to see that God's your father. In Mark 14, 36, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he is so filled with anguish and anxiety that he's actually sweating drops of blood. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In his moment of greatest need, Jesus prays, Father, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is kind of a, it's a unique little phrase It's translated from Aramaic, and it's this phrase that Hebrew children would use uh, to call their dad. So some scholars have kind of described this as a way of saying daddy, Abba Father, because it's a child calling out for the dad. But it's actually even more than that. It's an expression of deep intimacy and familiarity. It's kind of an expression of a conviction and a confidence that you are meant to be in conversation. And Jesus is praying this at the moment when he's most fearful, he's most burdened. And in actual fact, he's described in some gospels as being in agony. And he says, Abba, Father. There's two other instances where that same phrase pops up in the New Testament. And it's talking about us. In Romans 8, Paul writes, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then again, when he's writing a letter to the church in Galatia, he says, because you are sons, God has spent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Paul's saying that if we're in Christ, if we've trusted in him, then the same father that he was intimate with, that he was close to, that he was familiar with, is available to you and me. That you and I have access to the father. Sometimes our relationship with God doesn't reflect the closeness of a father and a son, does it? Or a father and a child. And the truth is that the, relation, the distance in our relationship sometimes, well, all times, has got really nothing to do with God being far from us, but us choosing to be far from him. God doesn't abandon us, but sometimes we abandon him. He doesn't neglect us, but sometimes we neglect him. God's not an absentee father. We are absentee children. You and I need daily time with God precisely because we need God like a child needs a parent. There's two basic ways to go to God. And this is how I want to finish because I think that this right here is kind of the bedrock of most of our prayer life. There's two ways that you can approach God. One, you can approach him as a business relationship. You can go to God because he has something you need and so you need to convince him to give it to you. Or you can relate to him as a father, as one who loves you, who gives freely to you because you are his child. 
See, if you have a business relationship with God, it leads to two things, both of them equally as bad. One, pride, because you think, well, I've done what's necessary, now it's time for you to pay me. Or it leads to fear. You think, I haven't paid, I haven't done what's necessary, so I can't talk to you because you're gonna exact payment from me. Either way, you don't believe you're a child. You don't believe that he's your father that actually will not punish you, will not harm you, but will provide for you, will care for you, will comfort you. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe that God is your father? Do you believe that if you are in Christ, you can approach him, you can come right to his face, you can speak to him as a man speaks to a friend because he loves you, because he's made himself available to you, because he wants to listen to the cries of your heart, because he wants to carry the burdens that are weighing you down. God wants you to approach him as father. It's why he sent you his son, that you might receive his spirit, that you might be adopted as his children, that you might be able to come right up to his lap. My hope for us as a church is that we can learn to pray to our father. We wouldn't pray to a God that we're worried he's gonna come get us, that we might say the wrong words, that we might live the wrong life. All those things are true. We're sinners, we're broken, we're in need. That's why we can approach him. That's why we need to approach him. It's because there is a God, there is a Father in heaven waiting for you to come and bring all that troubles you, all that weighs you down. I wanna close just by reading the lyrics to one of my favorite worship songs. It's an older hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I used to think that this was really cheesy and ridiculous, but as I've read over these lyrics over the years of my life, and it reminds me of what prayer is and what prayer should be. It fills me with so much hope. So much hope that this, this is the God that we pray to. This is the God who wants to be in conversation with us. He says, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear all because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I pray that those words would echo in us as we leave this place this morning. Father, that we would remember it is a privilege to carry everything to you in prayer. Lord, find those lies in our hearts that tell us not to come to you, that distract us from spending time in conversation with you, Lord, and transform us. Renew us with the hope of the gospel that says we are not cold contacts on a sale call. We are your children. We are the ones that you have shed your blood for, that you have welcomed into your presence. Lord, may we speak with you as Moses spoke to you, as a man speaks to a friend. May we speak with you as Jesus spoke to you, as our Father. We pray these things in his name, amen. So glad that we got to be together this morning uh, to pray. I, I hope whenever we gather, it's so good for my heart, even just singing there at the end, just to remember who it is that loves us, who it is whose house that we're in, who's calling us to come in conversation. 
I'm not always good about this, but we have a prayer team available at the end of our services. And you are always welcome to come up. We want to pray with you here. We don't just want to be something that we hold up and say, yeah, we love prayer. Isn't it a great idea? We want to be doing it. We want to be in, in, the, in the midst of it. We want to be in constant conversation with the Father who loves us. So if there's any way we can pray for you, please come forward. I would love to pray with you. Our prayer team would love to pray with you. But this morning, let me leave you with our benediction. Would you stand and pray this with me? Today we leave in the name of our Father who has given us his Son so that his Spirit would fill our hearts and we could cry, Abba, Father. May we never be far from his presence and may we pray without ceasing knowing his great love for us. It's in his name that we go. Amen.